we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. Wow, isn't that good news? I mean, we say it, but do we believe it? It is good news that Jesus rose from the grave, providing us victory over sin and shame and death, that we too can walk in brand new life. Um, for the past several weeks, we've been talking about King David, and um, David had no idea that Jesus died for his sin. He was so far removed from the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, he had no clue that one day the father would send a son, his only son, and his son would live a life without sin, and that son would die on the cross for David's sin and my sin and your sin and would rise from the grave. David had no idea that ultimately Jesus, the Son of God, would die for him and eternally pay for the price of his sin, but he did but he did. Well, let me welcome you to Logos. My name is uh, Danny, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at this church and have the privilege to lead you here in Logos. Um, if you're a guest with us today, let me say, especially to you, um, we're so honored that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, we really don't want to take that for granted. One of the ways we don't want to take that for granted is by putting this in the chair in front of you, a little pocket, um, it says connect here on one side. Um, if you would just honor us by filling this out, um, that would be great. And later on in the service, near the end of the service, an offering plate will come your way. We simply ask that you put that in there so that we can begin a relationship, a friendship uh, with you. So let us know that you're here and we're thrilled to have you here. Logos is our band-led worship service. Our aim is to be casual. But you hear on Easter Sunday, and we're all dressed up. Um, but Lagos, our heart is, is to be a place where we can have a conversation uh, about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what it means to love him and follow him uh, in everyday life. So we're glad you're here, uh, thrilled that we can worship together. Let's stand together, and we're going to read Matthew 28, verses 16 and 17, which is a normal rhythm in our church family to read Scripture together. Let's read this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Awesome. You may be seated. Dying was not enough. It's in his rising from the grave that the victory over sin and death happens. It's true. Uh, Paul would say to the Corinthian church, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then we're all in trouble. We're still left very much in our own sin and shame. He would go on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 56, he would say, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was completely and totally convinced of the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why he was speaking those words to the Corinthian church. The resurrection is what makes the good news the good news. The resurrection is the anchor. It is the, the, it's what seals the promise of God. And this is the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 4. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And Easter is the proclamation of that truth to the fallen world. In Revelation 21, 5, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. And that was secured when Jesus rose from the grave that third day. And so today, I'm going to be talking about new life. That's where I'm headed. And that's what Easter is all about. Easter is all about new life. It, it, it's, it's why we dress up on Easter, right? I mean, I don't dress up like this every Sunday. Y'all know that. And, and I'm not particularly trying to impress anybody, but a part of the reason why, okay, maybe I do try to impress some people on Sunday on Easter, but... But really, when you think about it, we're compelled to do this on Easter Sunday because we want to express new life. We're doing something new, new beginnings. And even the way we dress can communicate that on Easter Sunday morning. But I want to talk to you about new life that we see in Christ and, and how he commands us to live in new life. And not in some abstract way. Uh, not in a way that's kind of hidden or, you know, I, I'm really living a new life underneath the surface, but I'm talking about in a very tangible way, a, a way that can be seen, that people can see in me and see in you, uh, a very real life movement change kind of way that people can testify to, okay, they're walking in a new way, that people can see with their own eyes. And um, we get this very clearly, um, inherently, from Matthew 28, 6, right? Let me just read this, and it's from this verse that we build, new life. The angel said to the women who had come to the tomb, He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Now, obviously, Jesus was dead. He died on the cross for our sin. And then he rose from the grave in new life. And so the question we want to ask this morning is, if Jesus rose in new life, and we are called to walk in new life, what in the world does that look like? What does that look like for us, uh, for those who follow Jesus, and for those whom Jesus is calling him to follow? What does new life look like? Look like? Well, let me just give you a few examples of what new life looks like. What kind of impact did Easter have on Paul? Think about this for a moment. It literally changed the trajectory of his life, the Apostle Paul. When Jesus first encountered Paul, he was on his way to imprison Christians, to throw them in jail, because they were advancing what they called, what he called the way, this new way. Day, uh, Paul had his very own David moment where Jesus met him on that road to Damascus and said, you are the man. 
right? You are that man. You are going against God by persecuting Jesus and persecuting Christians. And, and Paul comes to this place of faith and repentance, and everything changes in Paul's life in that moment. Years later, he would tell the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, listen to this. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, then let us eat, drink, and be merry and die. What a significant change for Paul. He's saying if Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, I just might as well have partied it up. Make the most out of everything that life has to offer to pursue my own pleasure. But instead, Paul gave his life for the sake of the cross. He leveraged every ounce of who he was. His life changed because of Easter. Think about the apostles. Before Jesus died on the cross, because all the events surrounding them, they were a terrified bunch of guys. They were scattered, not unified. They went from being scattered and terrified, and then Easter happened, and they became courageous and bold. Easter does that. Easter brought new life, a new way of living, a change of trajectory for, for Paul and the disciples. Something brand new happened in their life for such a change to have taken place. Romans 6.4 tells us, We were buried with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, that's you and me, that's Paul and the apostles, that's the world over for all who would believe and follow Jesus, that we too might walk in newness of life. Walk in a new way. Jesus broke free from sin and death when he rose from the grave, so we too might break free and live in a new way, a new life, with new life by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what the word says to this. In, in general, this is what it means, and then we're gonna get into some particulars. New life means for the believer, no longer held hostage by your sin. You are forgiven. No shame. Jesus has wiped that away. No longer do we have to do what our brokenness tells us to do. We are free by the grace of God to have victory over our own brokenness that would lead us into sin, right? The cross and the resurrection says you no longer have to live that way. You can have victory over that in day-to-day -day life. The word of God says in this new life, you are a new son and daughter of God. You have a new name, a new identity. It's not Unlike, in fact, it's exactly like a child who's adopted into a family who knows where that child has come from. But when that child is adopted into that family, they receive a new name. And they begin to encounter a new way of life and living in that new family. We want, as a church family, to have a heart for orphans and foster kids in our city. We want to be able to leverage the gospel that is so clearly spoken in adopting kids and serving families who adopt kids and foster kids um, that we've started a ministry called Fostering Together. Um, we believe in that ministry. It's just, just starting, 
May 19th, you're going to have an opportunity to see how in the world can we, as a church family, support in this great ministry in our city because it's so dear to the heart of God. I believe that God's called us to do that. So just stay tuned to that. But new life. Um, we are new in that we are free to follow new truths and commands and not just the commands of our own fleshly heart or what the world says. We're free. We're free to bear new kinds of fruit, like in Galatians chapter 4. All things new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. We also see it in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Paul would write to the Roman church, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This new life in Jesus, something happens up here. It's really the work of repentance. Repentance actually literally means change your mind. Pastor Don taught us that um, several years ago. Repentance means the, a change of mind where you begin to agree with God that not all is well here. I haven't gone your way. And you agree with God and you repent and you say, you know what? I'm going to have a change of mind, a renewing of my mind, so that I can know the way of God and start living it. That's really the definition of repentance. Definition, repentance is not just confession or admittance of your sin. That's part of it. But it's saying, you know what? I've got to change the way I walk. I've got to walk in a new way. That's what newness of life is. The renewal of our mind. The renewal of life. It's the power of gospel in everyday life. I'm new. Sin, you have no hold on me. I can live and love. I'm free. But we get to the particulars. We know there's a span of time between these first days, first moments of Jesus' resurrection and the words that we have in verses 18 through 20 that we call the Great Commission. We know that days are between um, those moments, but they happen to be in the same chapter. And we know it's one of the last things that Jesus had to say to his disciples. But I believe it's these commands that we find in Matthew 28 um, that really speak to us about the nature of a new way of living. A new way of living. So let me just kind of walk through some of those places where I think that is made clear. Again, these verses are verses you know very, very, very well. So let me just read Matthew 28, verse 18. His 11 disciples have gathered among most likely several other people to hear Jesus' words. And he says, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. New life in Jesus means living under a brand new authority. When a child is adopted into a new family, there is a transfer of authority in the child's life. There's a new authority, a new mom and dad. And for the rest of that child's life, he or she will be learning to listen and to obey, to be accustomed to the new rhythms and traditions of this family, this mom and dad, for their good. For their good. And this process, process isn't easy for any family. But can you imagine the security that eventually adopted child will feel knowing that they have a mom and dad who will provide and protect 
and give them the instruction and even the discipline necessary for them to flourish in life. What security there is in that moment. There is someone who cares and is present to teach you how to live and love in this world. Coming to Jesus and walking in new life is not unlike that. It's not just a transaction of forgiveness for us, but it's a transfer of authority over our life. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's a lot. That covers pretty much everything. In this new life, we not only experience Jesus' love, but his authority in all of our life, in every area of your life. There is no part of your life that doesn't fall under the authority of Jesus. That's what he means. Uh, all authority in heaven and earth. I am supreme when it comes to authority. There is no authority greater than me. I hold the universe in my hands, including your very own life. And so the words that come out of my mouth to you about life and living speaks to every area of your life. There's not a part of our life. I don't care what the world says about your life. And what is up to you and what's not up to you? Jesus says, listen, I love you. I died for you. And I have risen from the grave. And God has given me all authority as the son of God. And what I speak, I intend to speak, bring life into your life. I have authority over every area of your life. Listen to me. Walk in newness of life by listening and obeying this authority. And out that, so right out of the gate, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And if we walk in newness of life, if we're really living this life in a new way under Jesus, we have to say, Jesus, it's all yours. How we relate to friends, what we do at school, how we think about life and everything that revolves around this life in this broken world. Lord, you're the authority. Learning to submit to that is a part of walking in newness of life. But that's not all. We also find that we're given new purpose, 28, 19. Here we go. Very famous verse. You know it. Y'all probably could quote it. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. New life in Jesus means we have been sent by his authority. That's, the, that's why the therefore is there. Right? Jesus says, go, therefore, because I have all authority over heaven and earth, I'm telling you to go. If you are in this new life with Jesus, you have to know that you've been sent. That you have been commanded, not just called, but commanded to go. Not just some of you, but all of us. You're probably asking me, okay, Danny, here's where you're going you're gonna to ask me to really give up so much more of my time. I'm already stretched so thin. How else can I add going to the schedule that I have in my life? Well, first let me just say, I'm not the one asking you Jesus is. Jesus is. Just think about that for a moment. There's so much in our life that we just pause on and say, I just don't, I can't, I just, I can't do it. I don't feel equipped to do it. I shouldn't do it. I don't have time to do it. And, and Jesus isn't begging us to do stuff. He's commanding us to. And he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Which is worship, by the way. 
We love Christ, we exalt him in our life, and that expression of worship in all of life is that we listen and do what he asks us to do, including the going. Yes, you are called to be sent ones. And yes, you'll probably have to likely completely reevaluate your priorities and my priorities. That's what it means to walk in newness of life. You're my authority. I've got to reevaluate my priorities. That's what Jesus is asking us to do. Um, Yes, some of you are already thinking, well, Danny, you're thinking about us called to be missionaries and uh, to the ends of the earth. And yes, some of you, some are called and have been set apart to go to brand new places near and far to the glory of God. And we say, yes, go. We want to champion that. We want to say, you have been set apart to share the gospel and meet needs and be a blessing to the ends of the earth. I really believe that there are going to be some of you, as we continue to preach this message of going, that some of you are going to be, feel a call. Young folks, teenagers, uh, less than teenagers, I, I am convinced that the Spirit of God is already working some of you to call you to go to the ends of the earth. Some of you, like Paul and Silas, were sent to the Gentile world or William Carey to India or even the pits in, in this room right here at, at a point in their life were called to be in China together. There are people who are called, like my parents were called before I was born to go uh, to West Africa. Some of you will be called. I pray that some of you will be called in that way and I'm convinced that that will be true. But the majority of you will not. Not in that way but you are nonetheless sent. You are nonetheless commanded to go. Most of you, God has put you right where he wants you. In your profession, at your school, on the soccer field, with those moms, with those dads, with your teammates, with your friends, that college, God has you right where he wants you to go. The truth is, we're always going, aren't we? I mean, we are on the go kind of people. We are more on the go than almost anyone else in the world. We are on the go nonstop, and there are places you are always going to. Places and locations that are part of your normal rhythms of life. This is what I want you to do. In your chair or close to you, you probably found a map of San Antonio. If you have that map, hold it up just for a second. This is what I want you to do quickly. We don't have tons of time, but I want you just to think just for a moment, what are the top three normal rhythms of my life, the places that I go? And I want you to circle them. If you don't have a pen, borrow one from a friend. I know Michael has about 10 on him right there. I've got one right here. If you need a pen, you can borrow mine. But just take a moment and just say, Lord, what are the, what are the normal places that I go every week that I'm always there? It could be your neighborhood, a community, it could be a school, it could be uh, Saturdays where you're with a host of other parents sitting in a stadium seating, watching your kids play soccer, who knows? But you guys are on the go everywhere. Identify three places that you are called to go or where you're already going. And as you do that, listen to this, not only, you're not only called to gather here, I love it that we gather here. The word of God tells us to gather together in homes and places like this. He says, gather, be around brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what I command you to do. 
But to be the church does not only mean gathering here or coming to a facility multiple times a week. That's not the fullest expression or the only expression of what it means to be the church. To be the church of Jesus, by the way, who lived being sent, to be the church of Jesus, we must be a going people. So can I commission you? You are set free to go. I mean, not right now. Stay seated just for a second. You're set free to go. You're set free to go to the places that God has already placed you, to open up your eyes to the people around you, the people that have need, the people that you could spend time with, to leverage your time to share with them the gospel. You're already going to places that God wants to use you in. Those three places you put on your map, how could God leverage your story of Jesus in your life and the lives of people around you in those places? That's the question. You must be a going people. We must be a going church. If we are not the church out there, then odds are we're not being faithful to the command of Christ in here. We're not being the church that God has called us even as we gather. Our worship must move us into going. In fact, going becomes worship. Jesus gets really specific about what he means about going. He tells us what to do as we go. He says, make disciples. Make disciples. Making disciples is very quickly. What I mean by making disciples is telling the story of Jesus to another person, calling that person to faith and repentance in Jesus, and then showing them the way in this new life. How do you walk this new life in Jesus? That's what I mean by making, by, by making disciples. Sharing the gospel with another person whom you love and have spent time with, who's in your normal places that you go, and blessing that person. It may be that that person has a need. You begin to pour into that person and that need. You have an opportunity to share the gospel. Have you heard about Jesus? Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? It doesn't have to be flashy. The story can be a very brief story about what Jesus has done. And you can move on to there. Can I show you in the word of God what it says about Jesus? And I know you're feeling like, gosh, Dan, I don't feel equipped to do that. How in the world do I do that? Um, can I tell you, it's not as hard as we make it to be. The earliest church probably did not have evangelism classes. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I think we should have as many as possible so you can feel equipped. But I do know in the early church, the church was growing as people were sharing their faith and the story of Christ with their friends and neighbors, the people around them in their homes. Listen, they didn't even have the whole New Testament. We know more about Jesus now than they did the first century. Because we have the privilege of the whole New Testament and, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures in Christ. We, we're able to kind of piece it all together. All they had was the Easter story. Um, the incubators for new life and transformation in the lives of other people around them. You know the top two places were in the early church? The home and the marketplace. Why? Because that's where people were going. They'd have people in their home and they would tell them about Jesus. They would go to the workplace, the marketplace, and they would tell people about Jesus. What was so phenomenal about the early church is that 
unlike other religions of the day, this, the gospel crossed across every demographic. You had poor people coming to faith in Christ, rich people coming to faith in Christ, black people coming to faith in Christ, yellow people coming to faith in Christ, slaves coming to faith in Christ, free people coming to faith in Christ. Why? Because they were going and they were telling the story of Jesus in the places where they already were, in their homes and in the marketplace. And I know that God has called us to do the same thing in the places that we go. Those three places are others that you've put on the map. I want us to make disciples. Jesus wants us to make disciples. That's what he has commanded us to do. Do we believe that message? That's a good question. Is that message worth sharing regardless of the response or reputation that we have? Does Christ have authority over our life? Those are good questions. The last thing that I want to mention um, is that Jesus promises in this new life that we have new company. We have new company. Matthew 28, 20. Just the latter half, and he says, And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus concludes with this, as you live this new life under my authority with new purpose, as you go, you'll never be alone. You'll never be alone. As you go, you will see me there. Those are good promises. I really believe Jesus is doing far more than just assuring them. I mean, these, these guys were terrified, I think, of uh, of this man whom they loved, who risen from the grave, who done incredible things, was about to leave. He was telling them, I'm about to go. They had to be beside themselves. And Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. Um, and the way that he was going to fulfill his own presence in their life was through the Holy Spirit. But these words had to be assuring to them that you'll never be alone. I'll always be with you, even to the end of the age. But I think he's saying more than this. I think he's saying more than just don't be afraid, you won't be alone. I think that's true, but I think he's saying more than that. He's doing something else, too. I think he's pointing back to his authority. His authority not only to command us to live in a new way, but Jesus also has the authority to complete the work he has started through us, his church. Now, let me say that again. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it's not just to impress upon us that we have a new authority in our life. But he's also saying it is by my authority that I will make disciples through you of all nations to the very ends of the earth, to the end of the age. The work of the gospel, the making of disciples, is worked through us and accomplished by Jesus. And Peter would say, so that no man can boast, because it's about the glory of God. When, when you pour into a life of a neighbor or a friend across a cafe table and you begin to meet a need and you tell them the story of Jesus and you say, do you want to believe in this same Jesus that, that you can have forgiveness of sin and new life and new purpose? And that person says, yes, I want that. There's no part of that process that you say, wow, look at what I did. I'm pretty good at this. Jesus says, it's by my authority. I work through you to accomplish the work of the Great Commission. That's good news. It's affirming for us in these words, you will never be alone. You will never be alone. Um, 
It's kind of like the conversations we have with our kids. Sons and daughters in a healthy home who need present help from a father. Do you need help getting that? Reaching for the cereal bowl that's beyond her reach? I'll get that for you. How's your homework coming? Can I help you with that problem? I mean, I won't do it for you, but I'll, I'll help you with that problem. At least I don't, I don't do my kids' homework. I don't do my kids' homework. Can I show you how to clean that? It's just like that. As, as we live this new life in Jesus, Jesus says, I will never, never leave you alone. In fact, I will be doing the work with you. I'll be a present help right there in that life as you go. But here's, here's the question. The promise of Jesus is, is that as you go, behold, I will be there. I'll be with you. You will not be alone. I will do that work through you as you go. What if we don't know the presence and work of Jesus the way that we should around us and through us because we simply aren't going If Jesus is saying, behold, or look, look for me. As you go, look for me. I'll be there. You'll, you won't be alone. What if we don't experience the life and present work of Jesus in us, in the lives of other people, because we simply refuse to go? That promise is for us, those who follow Jesus in this new life and say, yes, Lord, teach me how to go. And when I go, I will see you there at work all around me. Here's a promise. You will always see and encounter Jesus and know his help and see his work in the going. There's never been a mission trip or effort that I've been a part of, even in this city, or even as I build relationships with people around me, where I've mustered up enough courage to go where I haven't seen Jesus at work too, or in me. We are never more like Jesus than, we go and, than when we go and make disciples. Jesus didn't just teach us about the kingdom of God, he showed us how to live it. In fact, he said, as the Father has sent me, I now send you and me. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.